and welcome back to another episode of General Conference Conversations, a podcast where we have conversations about General Conference. I'm your host, Kaylin, and I'm super excited to be here with you today, studying the words of Christ's chosen leaders. So let's get right into it. Today, we are talking about Elder Cook's talk, Sunday afternoon session, and this is our second to last episode of this season of this conference, which is so crazy. And next episode probably won't be super long because um, it's President Nelson's episode. Um, talk his last talk and it was only like it's seven minutes um but so yes next episode will be the last one before april conference will be the last one until april after april conference until i can get my act together and do and start on uh season three which is so crazy um and next episode will be over elder or president nelson's talk but also over some of the main themes that I saw throughout this conference. So stay tuned for that. But for today, we are talking about Elder Cook's talk, Be True to God and His Work. And as always, I encourage you to go listen to and or read this talk before you come and listen to me talk about it. Um, so you can get your own inspiration, your own promptings, your own questions to ask yourself for the study that you might find on your own and then hopefully I can add something to that maybe ask a question that you might not have thought of so uh, but I'm gonna jump right in so he starts out talking about um I really love this little story that he was assigned to visit the UK with along with uh, I'm also Ballard and Jeffrey R. Holland and all three of them served there as young missionaries and president nelson teased them about it and he was like it is unusual to assign three apostles to visit the area where they had served as missionaries and he was like well um everybody desires to be assigned to where they to their original mission and he said you know if they're um there's another set of three apostles who served in the same mission over 60 years ago, then they could probably receive a similar assignment, which I also just thought was cute. And they talk about that a lot. They've they've mentioned that uh, all three of them, um, Elder Oaks, Elder Ballard, and Elder Holland, have mentioned on other occasions, you know, oh, it's the same mission that so-and-so served in, and it's kind of fun. But he says in preparation for that assignment, he reread... The Life of Heber C. Kimball that was written by his grandson, Orson F. Whitney. And he's related, yes, so Heber C. Kimball is Elder Oaks's great, sorry, not Oaks, Cook's great-great-grandfather. Uh, and Heber C. Kimball and a couple other guys were the first missionaries in England, in the British Isles. So he read the life of Heber C. Kimball as kind of, as preparation. Um, and he had his own um, copy of it that his mom had given him when he was seven. And they were, anyway, so, sorry, I got lost in my notes. <laughs> um, 
he shares some quotes from him about the time that um, Joseph Smith was in Liberty Jail. And at the time, um, Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball were in charge of like overseeing the church while Joseph was in jail. And this was the time that everybody was fleeing from Missouri under the, you know, the terror that they were going to get killed. So, um, but he shares this little tidbit from the book. Um, it's kind of a longer quote. I'm gonna, I'll read through it just kind of quickly. Almost 30 years later, Heber C. Kimball, then in the first presidency, reflecting on his history with a new generation, taught, let me say to you that many of you will see the time when you will have all the trouble, trial, and persecution that you can stand, and plenty of opportunities to show that you are true to God and his work. Heber continued, to meet the difficulties that are coming, it will be necessary for you to have a knowledge of the truth of this work for yourselves. The difficulties will be of, be of such a character that the man or woman who does not possess this personal knowledge or witness will fall. If you have not got the testimony, live right and call upon the Lord and cease not until you until you attain it. If you do not, if you do not, you will not stand. The time will come when no man or no man nor woman will be able to endure on borrowed light. Each will have to be guided by the light within himself. If you don't have it, you will not stand. Therefore, seek for the testimony of Jesus and cleave to it, that when the trying time comes, you will not stumble and fall. Sorry, I missed my words there. Basically, he's saying there's going to come a time when you're going to need your own testimony. That you're not going to be able to rely on anybody else's testimony anymore. Um, you're going to have to have that for yourself. And he points out also, um, he talks about three degrees of glory. And the celestial glory in the 76th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the three degrees of glory are related to the sun, moon, and stars. Um, and he said something is he said it was interesting. The sun has its own light, but the moon is reflected light or borrowed light. And I also think that's interesting. I mean, that's an interesting thing to point out that um, to think about. And that's, it's been a journey of mine. I think it's a journey for everybody, especially as I was, you know, growing up and getting closer to going on my mission, things like that. Um, even before that, though, I've talked about this before. I, I, I we moved to Illinois when I was ten to a very rural part of Illinois, so there weren't really any members. <laughs> um, there were, but they're few and far between. And in my school district, it was just me and my siblings that were members. And so, and then we were in a very tiny branch. Um, and for a few years, there were a couple other big families that lived in different cities. Um, but we at least had a decent-sized primary and a decent-sized youth. But by the time I was in my second year of Young Women's, um, those other families had either moved or gone inactive, and so it was just us. It was just my family. 
and for a while it was just me in environments. It was just me in youth. Um, I was the only one in youth in high school. I was the only one in environments until my sister got old enough and my brothers got old enough. And then for my first two years of seminary, I was the only one in seminary until my sister got old enough. And I mean, I, I can't tell you that I had a rock solid testimony and that's why I stayed or why I kept going to seminary or whatever. I did it because it was what I was expected of me. Um, it was, you know, a rule of our house. If you lived in our house, you went to church and you went to seminary. Um, but there did come, you know, there was, there was a point, and I, I can't like pinpoint an exact moment when I realized it. It definitely happened over a long period of time. But you know, I had to realize, I, I, I realized that I had, I had to be doing this for myself at some point because otherwise what was the point? Um, and my, summer before my junior year of high school. Um, right? Yes, <laughs> I had to think about that way too hard. Summer before my junior year of high school, my dad got into a really bad car accident. And that turned over our entire lives um, for many, many reasons. And it continues to overturn our lives even almost 10 years later, eight years later. Um, but in that time, I drew great comfort from the scriptures and from prayer. And it was around that time, like I said, I can't pinpoint an exact moment, but it was around that time that I had to, that I had to acknowledge that I had a testimony of the gospel, that I knew God loved me, and that I knew that the scriptures were speaking to me, that I could find comfort in the scriptures. And because up to that point, I had been leaning on my parents' testimony, my parents, my church teachers and leaders and things like that, um, you know, it worked for them, I might as well keep doing it, or oh, it's a rule, so I'm going to keep going. Um, but it's when you really see it work for yourself. And that was what made me want to, I mean, I had decided to go on a mission before that, but that was like really what cinched it. I was like, I want people to feel this. Um, members and non-members alike, I want people to know what it feels like to know that God loves you and to really truly believe that with all your heart and to feel that every single day <clears throat> that God loves you. Um, and that was the reason I gave my bishop when I told him I wanted to put my mission papers in. He asked me why I wanted to serve. And I said, I know that God loves me. I felt it every day. I've seen the gospel work in my life and I want other people to know it. And he was like, that's a pretty good answer. And I was like, well, thanks. <laughs> I try. Um, and it's not always easy, right? Like that, that takes work and it takes, it takes effort. It takes time um, and it can be really scary and really hard to truly have that testimony for yourself um, but it's so worth it and I was gonna say something oh that's what I was gonna say <laughs> um, and this has been a huge point for President Nelson 
since he became prophet, it's kind of everything that he's been doing, everything that he's been changing has been about us seeking our own personal revelation, learning how to seek our own personal revelation, and, and gaining our own testimonies. If you think about, and I've pointed this out before, but if you think about Come Follow Me, um, ministering, the new children and youth program have all been to help us to personally study the scriptures, learn how to make goals and seek revelation for those goals. Ministering, we're still assigned to somebody, but it's much more nuanced in the way that you can minister to someone. You seek your own personal revelation, what you can do to help those people. Um, and of course his whole Hear Him campaign, that's been a major thing for him. And I think obviously we saw that with COVID, that when we don't have church, what do you do, right? Like you have to have some kind of your own testimony to continue studying the scriptures, even though you're not going to church or continue to ministry even though you're not going to church like all of those things right to trust um that even though we don't have church like it's like the gospel is still true that you still have a testimony of that so he shares the test or shares the story of um corianton the son of alma um in <laughs> this is Alma the Younger. I can't remember, but uh, Alma thirty six starts in Alma thirty six. These few chapters in Alma that the 30, 36, 37 range is Alma the Younger talking to his sons Helaman, Shiblon, and Corianton, and um. Corianton had made some pretty big mistakes, um, specifically sexually, sexual mistakes. Um, and so he, Alma, had sat down with them to talk about their lives and give them advice. And this is where Alma also tells them about his life. And we know his story of um, you know, teaching and things against the church and then being struck down by an angel and having a very literal come to Jesus moment. And Elder Cook actually says something about this, um, which I thought was really good. Also, he says, while Alma had received a manifestation where he saw an angel, this is rare. Impressions made by the Holy Ghost are more typical. These impressions can be equally as important as angelic manifestations. President Joseph Fielding Smith taught impressions on the soul can come from the Holy Ghost that that come from the Holy Ghost are far far more significant than a vision. When spirit speaks to spirit, the imprint upon the soul is far more difficult to erase. And that's super cool. Like obviously, I've never been. I've never been visited by an angel and I don't really I don't expect to be 
Um, so I can't compare the two. I can't be like, oh, the angel is so much better. Like I cannot, I, I have no frame of reference for that. But I definitely understand when he says, when spirit speaks to spirit, the imprint upon the soul is far more difficult to erase. And I think back on the moments when I have felt the spirit the strongest, or I have been guided in a specific direction, in a specific way, that that feeling is still there. Like I still, like even if I left the church tomorrow and said, it's not true, nothing, anything, I cannot deny the experiences that I've had with God and with the spirit. I cannot do that. I can't look back on blessings that I've gotten and felt so much love and t tears pouring down my face and to have things that come true in those blessings. Um, I can't deny that and I can't deny when I feel the spirit, I cannot deny what that feels like. Um, I also appreciate, <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's hard it, with the scriptures because it's often saying, you know, oh, he was visited by an angel or the Lord spoke to him when we take that very literally of like, oh, the Lord is standing in front of him speaking to him. I don't think that's always the case. I mean, there's definitely stories of the Lord literally, obviously, like the brother of Jared, um, literally appearing to him and speaking to him. But often I think it's more he's speaking to them through this impression, impressions that they're getting through the spirit, right? Um, and so it's good, I think, to talk about like this too, of like, it's okay if you're not having angels come to you. Like if your come to Jesus moment is not an angel, it's okay. It's still a come to Jesus moment. Um, so I just appreciated that he put that out there. And so he goes on to talk about Alma's counsel to his son, Shiblon, using the word bridle, to bridle his passions. And I also liked uh, some of the things that Elder Cook talked about with this. He says, bridle is an interesting word. When we ride a horse, we use the bridle to guide it. A good synonym might be to direct, control, or restrain. The Old Testament tells us we shouted for joy when we learned we would have physical bodies. The body is not evil. It is beautiful. It is essential. But some passions, if not used properly and appropriately bridled, can separate us from God and his work and adversely impact our testimony. And I think about, there's a line in my patriarchal blessing. I'm not going to get it correctly because I don't have it sitting next to me. But it talks about using my talents within the bounds the Lord set. And I think about that when they talk about bridling your passions. Um, that we are all given gifts. But anything taken too far can be a bad thing. <laughs> um, and and that's the whole thing. And I, and I do, I love that word, bridle your passions. That you know, your passions are a good thing your gifts are obviously a good thing. Like the things that you are given are, are good, um, but using them for good, using them in, in reined in, <laughs> controlled, direct ways is important. So, and then he talks a little bit about abuse. Um, well, that's what he's talking about. So he's talking about bridling your passions. Um, and he's talking specifically about anger and lust. And so he talks about anger and that anger and, <laughs> let me see, let me see. Anger and lust in small quantities can be healthy. 
lust is like literally how humans come into the world. Um, anger can be a healthy emotion when it's used properly. Um, but if left unbridled or uncontrolled, it can be really both can be really bad. And so he talks about abuse specifically. Um, and he talks about it in relation with, uh, in relation to the family proclamation, which I wanted to point out, there were a couple of times in this conference where the proclamation was used in a way that I don't think the proclamation is used super often. Um, the proclamation is hard for me specifically, um, be because of the way that it's used against LGBTQ people. I have a lot of friends in that community. And also, my family does not fit the perfect mold that is in the family proclamation for the world. My parents are separated. Um, and of course, there's like that one line that's like, well, you know, experiences may vary. Your mileage may vary, basically. Um, but that's one line in the whole thing. And, and often, when the proclamation is brought up, it's usually to talk about LGBTQ issues. And so I love that there were a couple of talks, this one, and one that I really, really loved. Um, oh my word. Part, in Partnership with the Lord by Elder Suarez, he talks about um, some of the roles of wives, husbands and wives. And then this one talks about abuse. There is a specific line in the proclamation um, People who abuse spouse or offspring, off, offspring will one day stand accountable before God. And so I just love that the, those, the two times that the proclamation was brought up at this conference um, wasn't in relation to LGBTQ issues. And he also is echoing what President Nelson talked about um, in this, this uh, Saturday morning session. He talked about abuse. Um, and I have that episode also if you want to go back and read my thoughts or even just read his thoughts on abuse and so then he talks about contention and anger in other situations and I really really enjoyed thinking about this um, this quote that he says so he says in our day one of the most significant challenges is contention and verbal abuse related to societal issues. In many cases, anger and abusive language have replaced reason, discussion, and civility. Many have abandoned the admonition of the Savior's senior apostle, Peter, to seek Christ-like qualities such as temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. They have also abandoned the Christ-like quality of humility. And <clears throat> I think that's obviously, there's so much just in that one paragraph I could probably do a whole video just on this one paragraph with all the things thoughts like roaming around in my brain but I won't um because there's so much that I could talk about but I've seen this so much in my life and I can I'm sure a lot of people have too especially online um with big societal issues that people have very opposing views on um and social media has not helped with like coming together it's really easy to post a comment and then it's different when you're having a conversation in the comment section or over text than you are face to face right 
there's not as much room for discussion, there's not as much room for interpretation of body language and facial expressions and tone. It gets lost sometimes and it can get really heated really quickly when it's not meant to be, when like nobody really intended it to get that heated. Um, and yes, and so, and I love this one specifically, in many cases, anger and abusive language have replaced reason, discussion, and civility. Often I see even elected leaders in governments and things like that, um, and influencers and, and newscasters, people who are supposed to, supposed to <laughs> have reasonable, you know, calm discussions, um, resort to things like name calling and bringing up issues that are not what they're talking about just to jab at somebody and just to poke somebody or poke fun at somebody, um, making jokes, things like that, that aren't constructive, they're not helpful, and it gets really, it gets really hard to have a civilized conversation. Um, and so, and then he brings up the Christ-like qualities, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, and then humility. And I think all of those things are so important when you're having a discussion with someone, especially with somebody you don't agree with. Um, obviously, right? Temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, humility. And I think that last one, we talked about humility in a couple, a few episodes ago in Patterns of Discipleship. Um, humility is being teachable, is, you know, opening your mind and your heart to the fact that you might be wrong or that somebody else might be right. Like, even though that you can both be right, <laughs> you can both have good points, you can both have reasons for the opinions that you have, right? To have that open mind, to really think about, you know, being in somebody else's shoes and and accepting that you can change your mind on something. Um, that's really important, um, especially in the day of digital technology, when it's really easy to just leave a comment and then turn your phone off or close your laptop and not have to deal with it anymore. So those are my thoughts on that one. Um, I think that's super important. But my first question I wanted to ask is, how can you better bridle passions in difficult conversations? Um, my husband and I have very differing beliefs on things. I have very differing beliefs with my mother-in-law, with friends, with family, with people online that I communicate with. And I have had to learn how to bridle my passions. I'm not good at it. I There are definitely times when I I go too far, um, uh, but I'm working on it <laughs> and, you know, working on having good conversations with people. So how can you, how can you better bridle passions? Do you have somebody in your life that, you know, it's really hard to have difficult conversations with, um, because you get heated or they get heated or something like, how can you, 
have better discussions about things like that, whether that's politics or religion or, you know, whatever it may be. So he, then he talks about lust and he talks about Corianton. Um, and he brings up President Nelson's talk. We can do better and be better from April 2019. Um, and, 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 and shares a quote from President Nelson. And he says, repentance is not an event. It is a process. It is the key to happiness and peace of mind, he taught. President Nelson taught. Daily repentance is the pathway to purity and purity brings power. So I were to ask, um, or no, sorry, just kidding. <laughs> Can't read my notes. This is also a big key thing that President Nelson has had throughout his time as prophet is daily repentance, repentance over and over and always. Um, and his, his focus on repentance not being a bad thing, um, talking about the, the Greek word metanoia being changing your mind, changing your breath, changing the way you do things, that it is a change. Um, and that's something I learned as a missionary when I got into the MTC when they talked about repentance. They talked about repentance being just simply changing to become more like, more like Christ. Because when I was growing up, the way that I was taught repentance was that it was a big scary thing that you only did when you did something so bad that you had to go and talk to the bishop. And there was, you know, a process. There's a process that you had to go through. Um, and that was <laughs> really hard for me, you know, as an 11 year old with perfectionism, um, to think about going to the bishop and like confessing my sins. Oh, terrifying so terrifying uh but to learn you know that it's not a punishment it's a good thing it's not the backup plan it is the plan right um and that we should be doing it every single day revolutionary <laughs> revolutionary um and i think that goes along with having your own testimony um you know, knowing your own thoughts on things is is then repenting and and changing yourself and knowing what you need to do not just you know the obviously we have the big overarching commandments and things that we should be doing but how does that apply to you what do you need to be working on so and then he quotes verse 29 of Alma 42 when uh, Alma's still talking to Corianton and Corian or sorry Alma says this and now my son I desire that you should let these things trouble you no more and only let your tr sins trouble you with that trouble which shall bring you down unto repentance and I wanted to ask a question that came along with this that came into my head when I thought about this. Are you holding on to guilt from already repented of sins? Obviously, we're going to feel some sort of guilt so that we don't do it again, right? 
But if you're constantly wondering, you're constantly worrying, oh, did I actually repent of this? Did I, did, has God, has God forgiven me or whatever? Um, I really like this. Now, my son, I desire that you should let these things trouble you no more. Only let your sins trouble you with the trouble that shall bring you down to repentance. Let them trouble you enough that you repent when you need to repent. Like if you if you mess up again, if you make another mistake or you fall back on old um, habits, like to repent again if that's what you need to do. But if you've already repented for a sin, then you're okay. Like it's literally, don't let that trouble you anymore. Um, only enough that it will hopefully keep you from doing it again. Um, so I want you to really think about that. Are you holding on to guilt from already repented of sins? Um, and really think about that, if that's still troubling you. And maybe maybe it is like, oh, you haven't fully repented for it, or you haven't gone through the process, or whatever. But like, you can get rid of that. You can, you can let those things go. Um, and yes, so... That's really all I've got from the talk itself. Um, he quotes President Nelson from the Sunday morning session um, about pleading to take pleading for us to take charge of our testimony of Jesus Christ, which goes along very well, obviously, right? Um, that this is you know something that the prophet has been begging us to do. And encouraging us to do for the five years that he's been prophet, um, which is obviously means it's important over and over and over and repent like repetition. Um, so yes, I don't know. I just lost my train of thought completely. <laughs> That's fine. So my two questions were, uh, now I'm not going to be able to find them because of course not. <laughs> um, how can you bridle your passion, better bridle your passions in difficult conversations? And then the one that I just read, uh, or I just asked, uh, are you holding on to guilt from already repented of sins? And then further study for this talk. Many of the footnotes contain extra information of the things he's talking about. So there's so many. Um, let me just click in really quick. <laughs> uh, footnote one, footnote two, footnote three, footnote six, footnote ten. Um, yeah, so there's just a, there's a few, there's quite a few, um, that have just extra information about like Hebrew C. Kimball or about Alma, extra commentary that Elder Cook put in later, um, and then What is True by Elder or President Nelson, which is from this conference, um, it was, I think, the very first talk. No, just kidding. It was the last talk in the very first session by President Nelson. And I have a video on that. Uh, I have an episode on that if you want to.
hop on over there and hear my thoughts about it. Uh, we Can Do Better and Be Better by President Nelson from April 2019. And then the Choices for Eternity, the Young Adult Devotional from May of 2022, which I've pointed out before has been quoted a lot in this conference. Um, I'll have to count up how many talks actually like refer to this topic, to this devotional. It's quite a few. Um, so if you're curious about that, that one's on the church website, I believe. But yeah, that's all I've got for you today. But thank you so much for listening to and or watching this episode of General Conference Conversations. Um, if you like the show, be sure to follow me. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. You can subscribe here on YouTube or follow on your podcast of choice. Leave a review and leave a comment. Uh, tell a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And of course, a reminder again about the study guide. They're still available. Uh, if you're looking to get the physical copy uh, like sent to your house, uh, I would get, out, get on that soon because um, it takes a bit to ship to you. Uh, but you can always get the PDF version and download it directly to your laptop and uh, print it out you want to do that and all those links all will be in the description below um yeah i'll talk to you next time